Welcome to Unashamed Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming into Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions with experts, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Steve. And I'm your co-host, James. And we are Unashamed Unafraid. James. Steven. As you know, there are two people who, if you anyone were to say, how are you where you are? How did it happen? How did you heal? I would say two names. I would say God led me to two people. Mm-hmm. The first being Todd Olson, who I've mentioned on many times, um, who saved me. Mm-hmm. And to Miss Courtney, who healed me. Um, and, uh, I just can't even, I can't even put words to how amazing she is and how happy I'm to have her on the show. Yeah. It's, uh, this has been my first opportunity to meet Courtney and just the power that she carries in her words and just the authority and wisdom. It is It is just there. I mean, so you've said before, there are people in positions of authority and there are people with authority. That is Courtney. She's just with authority. It just emanates from her. Yes. And uh, so amazing to participate in this podcast today. Yeah. And um, uh, just, and not even... I mean, a lot of times I feel like when people are good speakers, mm-hmm. um, it's it's very they they have a a roteness, they have a they have a performance voice, they have a which I'm not knocking that right, like like they have their yeah. their stage self. Like when I'm showing up and I'm being interviewed or I'm presenting information, this is how I do that, and yeah. then my personality and and how I am personal is over here, and how I show up is here, and the way Miss Courtney does both, mm. that you're just so sharp concise well and and just well, so well spoken and then just, just the person out of the issue cuts like, to the heart but like a best friend would cut to yes. your heart not like i'm like oh i need to buy her book i'm gonna be I, it's like was i just like were we were we just yeah. sitting on the porch like just driving in the car on a road trip and just get i'm just getting opened up yeah. like to put those two worlds together in such a seamless um way yeah. Uh, she just has, well, many gifts, but that is one for sure right. that I felt in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I mean, just I mean, to further my point, I guess there's so often there's so much kind of smoke around the questions that get asked and there's so many pieces of it. And she's just like, boom, there's the flame. And it's like, that's the heart of the problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, for sure. And that's what I felt come out of, you know, every question she was like, this is the key or the root or the flame of that. Done. Yes. Yeah. Done. So <laughs> I actually found myself not being able to say much in the podcast. Cause I was just like, wow. Yup. That was, there's nothing more to be said. And y'all know <laughs> I'm a talker. That's not news to anyone. You have to listen to about five seconds of one of our episodes to be like, I get who that guy is. And even me, I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> 
because yeah, I'm like I'm like trying to take it in, yeah, right? And yeah, it just totally. so incredible. Um, and uh, so special uh, in the the bonus content is rich on multiple levels. Oh yeah. Um, but one, um, just a blessing. Oh yeah. For, I mean, just a holy experience. Truly. Um, um, to to be with Miss Courtney and just hear her heart, right? Not just going through these questions, but hear her heart. We also uh, get introduced to her son Carter, who is the man. Um, and I have met him before on site, hanging out, and um, I am like, he is like a forty-year-old man in his wisdom and canner and carrying himself, and he's uh, nine years old. I think he just turned ten. But uh, no, still nine. Courtney's telling me nine. But um, so still, he's still nine, right? Nine years old. Like you have not met a nine-year-old. <laughs> yeah. That's like, got a soul of a 40-year-old. That has, I mean, just, th- that's one that I'm like, you, you keep your eye on him. Yeah. Like just, just a world changer. And th- I mean, that speaks so much. And I share that really to say like, that speaks so much to who Miss Courtney is right. as a mother. Yeah. Um, because... So I mean, her influence, It's and it's incredible right. to watch. So you mentioned OnSite, Steve. Tell us more about that. What is that? Yeah, so OnSite um, is, I mean, been a, been a life changer for me, but OnSiteWorkshops.com. Um, so they do, so use the word workshops when intensive is scary for people. That's how they do it in the therapy land. And so um, that's where I first had the opportunity to meet Courtney. So uh, workshops, so intensive workshops for individual and group, I highly, 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 triple highly recommend it. So we talk a ton on here uh, about Warrior Heart and the retreat and the women's retreat. We do scholarships for them. Um, we are going to do a scholarship for on-site this year, um, which I'm super excited about um, to go to on-site, um, which is going to be huge. And um, so what I told, and James, I remember the conversation we had and you're like, how is on-site? I'm like, I'm not going to talk about it because it's going to take me 30 days to download my experience there. And by the way, what I want you to know, boot camp times 10. And you're like, no way, that's impossible. And I'm like, I was there. I know what happened. It's times 10. So everyone has to go. So you can find. um, And you're like, so basically just think about your life pre-boot camp and then your life after. Times 10. Times 10. It's like, so just however long you want to live your life like that, go ahead. Go ahead. Make my day. And you are now going. I am. To do your program. Yep. So um, that's going to be an awesome experience. So I now have the beautiful experience of being a guide at OnSite and and doing some guiding there, which is super cool. So you can find Miss Courtney there. Um, you can find her back in North Carolina, South Carolina, licensed in both. And um, we will include her website, where to find her. And um, the big thing that last thing I want to say for sure about Courtney is a confession, which I've made several times on here is I actually don't listen to a ton of podcasts. I do a lot of audio books, but just like time wise and I don't. And so if there is a podcast that I listen to, this is the one it's the magic well so courtney um and other good mutual friend magic mark mark pimsler they started the magic well podcast and it is brilliant and i'm telling you why it's brilliant because it's not therapist like sometimes you read therapist books and just as an average person it's like so heady and you're like what what but then sometimes you read books and you're like where's the depth where's the rich boom captured both in the pod is the most beautiful amazing i promise go listen to the magic well for 10 minutes Please don't forget about us over here at this podcast to love us, be a fan, but the magic well, I cannot give it enough praise. If you do not go listen to the magic well, you are missing out. So everywhere that podcasts are found and to our anonymous question askers, um, 
props, man. Some real stuff in this episode. Yeah. A lot of really great topics um, that are truly amazing and the courage that they asked. Miss Courtney did such a good job answering them. So always, if you have a question you want to ask, go to unashamedunafraid.com, submit it to us. You can also ask on our socials, which is at unashamedunafraid, Facebook and Instagram. Um, also, if you are needing a scholarship to do some of your own work, go to unashamedunafraid.com slash scholarships. And if you would like to become an outsider, 100% of that money goes to funding those scholarships and helping us run this podcast. So you unashamedunafraid.com slash donate and our outsiders are bold, accepted and unashamed. And that is truly our, it's an excellent community to be a part of. And you will get the bonus content with Miss Courtney and Meet Carter, which is awesome um, to donate to that. And if you like our content at all, or even if you don't and you just want to be nice, go to iTunes, give us five stars because that is how the world judges us. Listening to us is a waste of time because we need to cut this off because you could be listening to Miss Courtney right now. So let's get in the studio with Miss Courtney. Miss Courtney, Miss Courtney, Miss Courtney, Miss Courtney, Miss Courtney, Miss Courtney, Courtney, how are you? I am good, Stephen. How are you? Um, what everyone doesn't know is this is a typical reaction between you and I that I'm like, ah, fireworks, Miss Courtney. And you're like, oh, Stephen and all your energy. Let me just hold some space for that. So, so grateful that you are here with us. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be here and I enjoy holding space for your excitement. I don't ever want you to change <laughs> be and behaving in this exact same way. <laughs> Thank you. So for those people who may not know you, um, paint yourself into context. Uh, tell everyone who you are. Yes. Yeah, so my name is Courtney Leak. I'm a licensed clinical social worker in the state of North Carolina and South Carolina. I have a private practice in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is also my hometown. Um, I work with people who have experienced trauma. Um, I do experiential and psychodrama in my therapy practice as well as EMDR. Um, my favorite thing about myself is that I am the mother of an amazing little boy named Carter who's nine and just my favorite human in the entire world. And um, I am equal parts nerd and grandmother and ratchet college student. <laughs> That is well said. And as I know you, um, so we've got a bunch of these questions. Um, and so James, let's just jump in. Hit, let's do it. hit us with Hi, question James. number one. Hey, Courtney, glad to be on with you today. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to start us off with question number one. This one says, does pornography usage rewire the brain in such a way that the emotion of anger or rage is also affected? Mm. I would say yes, especially with what you're watching. Um, as we know, there's levels to all things. And so if there is an element of violence or um, just roughness in general in what you're watching, then that's, of course, going to desensitize you to that just like other things desensitize us to violence um, and therefore tap into our anger and rage however i also think if there is shame attached 
we become so ashamed of ourselves for the actions that we're doing that that then increases our anger and rage because that kind of stuff can't live in our bodies without being projected out. It's like trying to hold a beach ball underwater. And so eventually when you're trying to hold the beach ball, it's going to pop out and whoever's around you is going to get hit um, or you yourself are going to get injured because it's whole trying to hold in shame is just too painful of an ask for anyone. Well, and as one of my favorite therapists says, Courtney Leake, um, she says that anger is a bottle cap emotion. Yeah, yeah. So there's always something underneath it. And I know that anger is not... um, it's not socially acceptable in a lot of ways. And what I think people are confusing it with is rage. Anger is a healthy, normal emotion. Anger that's not, that doesn't have permission to be addressed turns into rage. And then we are too volatile at that point to express our anger in a healthy way. But if we're given permission to own the fact that we're angry and then express it in ways that are healthy and safe, that then helps us access whatever's underneath the anger, which is usually the pain. And that pain then being addressed allows us to not need to medicate that pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Love that. So to the person asking our question here, um, advice that you would say, if I'm like, if that's hitting home for me and I'm like, oh yeah, my anger's turned into rage. Like you say, it's coming out like the beach ball coming out sideways. Advice. Yeah. I think it's totally okay to find cathartic ways to express your anger. Um, And for people that can be several different things. For me, it's going to a rage room in Charlotte where I get some glass and a bat and um, my own playlist and I have a grand old time because no one's being harmed and I'm getting an opportunity to use my body to express what I'm feeling. And oftentimes, once that happens, there's a swell of other emotions that comes up right underneath it because the anger is not as explosive as we think it is. It's usually a a few moments and then the truth comes up underneath it. Um, Also to cry, to call that friend who lets you say whatever you need to say, however you need to say it and doesn't judge you. You can um, go to the gun range if you are someone who is comfortable shooting guns. Um, Scream into a pillow. There's so many ways to access your anger in a way that does not harm anyone else. Now they feel strange because we have been conditioned not to be angry, but don't let that discomfort discourage you because your body is telling you what it needs. And if we listen to it and honor it, usually it can then give us more information. And that information helps us do the deeper work. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to start up a new business called Rage Room and just get like rooms all over the country where people can just go in, break some glass and scream. You know, it's like, you know, five, oh, yeah. a couple bucks an hour, you know. And I just heard we're doing another episode with Courtney on rage and anger. <laughs> so yeah, I yeah I've taken clients to the rage room. It's a really powerful, yeah. a powerful expression. And what I want to say is give it voice. Don't just go and smash something. Be honest with yourself about what you are angry about. Call it out. Say it. Don't even make it about a specific person, but more of the feelings that are hindering you or holding you back. So give it words. Actually honor the anger and acknowledge that it's there for a reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. 
I love that. Question number two. Do you have the questions right there, Miss Courtney? I do. Okay, here we go. Question number two. My boyfriend recently told me he struggles with pornography and masturbation. We plan on getting married in the future, and I want a healthy marriage and relationship. I want us to be close and open about everything. What can I do to help him feel comfortable talking to me and find and endure recovery? Mm. So what I want to say to this person is that I'm not 100% sure. I'm, I'm actually, that's not true. What I want to say to this person is it is not your job to help them find recovery. That is their journey and their responsibility. Now, as a partner, it's 100% appropriate to support and hold space, but trying to enforce your belief of how someone should operate onto them never works out. And if we're being a little deeper than that, that can really turn an intimate relationship into a parentified relationship. And then that will start to impact so many other parts of the relationship, especially intimacy. And so it's really important to make sure you right size yourself in other people's struggles. So I would really want you to get clear with them about their own beliefs currently around pornography and masturbation. And if their beliefs don't align with yours, that's an opportunity for some open dialogue. And then for you to get clear about what your expectations are of a husband and then find out if he is willing to meet that because he doesn't owe you that. That's hard for us to hear and understand, but people don't owe us our version of their wellness. They get to live the life they live and then accept the consequences. Now, that consequence might be, well, then we aren't meant for each other because in my marriage, that's not something I'm OK with. But he needs to come to that on his own. And if that doesn't work for you, then maybe you need to consider if this is the person you want to continue with, because forcing them or pushing them into recovery when that's not where they are, that's not going to sustain. It's not sustainable. Well, and frankly, it's exhausting, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's exhausting. There's no way for you to make people do what you want them to do. And here's the thing I'll say. You have to be really careful about falling in love and committing to potential. Mm, say more oh, on that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we can really see who we want someone to be who we hope they're going to be and marry who they are and then spend a lot of time being disappointed that they actually are who they are. Like, <laughs> Oh man, that's so good. Yeah. And so again, people also don't owe us a version of them that we want them to be. And so when you marry someone, when you commit to somebody, commit to who you know them to be right now, because that might be who they always are. And there's no um, there's no guarantee that when they do start growing and expanding, y'all are going to grow and expand in the same direction. And so you having mm -hmm. of them that you need them to be is an unhealthy way to be in relationship with another person. Well, and and I think uh, which might be contextually true to this question, and if not for this, right, this uh, partnership for other ones that we see for sure is sex is not going to fix it. 
right? If this is, we're not like, we're not doing premarital sex. And so you think, oh, by marrying him. And then we have like, if, if there's sex there, then I'll be enough or it will be enough. Whether she's thinking that, right? Whoever, right? Or him, like whoever's thinking that, like that, that is not that's not going to be a way to step in and fix it. We joke when we have couples come on and share their story and the guys are right. All, Cause all too often guys are like, well, if I'm not having sex, right. As a, as a good Christian, uh, if I'm, you know, not doing sex before marriage and if that's my right value system and I'm sticking to that, then when I get married and I'm having sex, then the porn or right excessive masturbation, whatever's going on is going to go away. Right. And so if that is the, if that's the hope you're putting it in that, that there's this slot that if you fit through that, it's going to work out. Um, no, James is shaking his head. It's always a miscarriage. You can't see him. I can see him, but they're shaking their heads. So, um, yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't work that way. People. And I get it. We do that with all kinds of addictions. You know what I mean? Like everyone started token up in college. Like everybody has this thing that wasn't a problem until it was a problem. And once it's a problem, nothing's going to fix it except addressing the problem. Like there's, you may substitute it, but that doesn't mean you've actually fixed it. Um, Mm -hmm. When you're talking about something like pornography, especially it alters your ability to fantasize and connect with your partner because your partner usually doesn't look like the people on the screen. And so your brain is wired to find attraction. And I use that in quotation fingers to the people on the screen, which then will create a disconnect between you and your partner. And so your partner can't match the fantasy. And so since they can't match the fantasy, then you aren't as interested in the partner. So a lot of times the sex is a complete, the the pornography, excuse me, is a complete hindrance to sex and healthy sex in a relationship. For sure. For sure. Yeah, that's I, and I just love all of the when they because when people submit questions, I'm like, we we should do just, and I say this every episode when we do a Q and A, I'm like, we should just do one question per episode, but this then we wouldn't get to them all. They're so good, so um, so much in that one. So question number three. Moving to question number three. Um, so now after um, all of that, I certainly feel like I've made progress. I no longer visit the adult theater of online affairs. I've been able to go um, from daily two hours of pornography of masturbation at a time um, to one week to three weeks. And now it's only 20 minutes. In my mind, I have made progress. In my wife's mind, every time I act out, I'm driving the nail in the coffin of our marriage. I am wrong to expect her to understand and recognize the progress I've made. That's a question. Am I wrong? Yeah. Yeah, Am I wrong? Right. And is her expectation of me never acting out again, realistic, or is it setting the marriage up for failure? Uh, Thank you for all that you are doing and helping us find hope and healing. So first off, you're welcome. And a couple questions there. So, right. So first question, uh, Miss Courtney to you, right. Am I wrong to expect her to recognize that I'm making progress? Yeah, I honestly, I don't think that you are. I think that it's really, really hard to accept in any level of deeper wounding when you already feel wounded by someone who you actually thought wasn't ever going to wound you. 
So I am sure for her, this is really, really, really hard to hold that a it already was happening. And that now that you know how much harm you have caused, you aren't completely celibate from this practice. I can imagine the messaging that that is sending. And I really think that's her individual work. Because if if this is putting a nail in the coffin, then that tells me the coffin is built. And are we now, you know what I mean? Like if I'm putting the marriage in a coffin and then all you have to do is add me a nail, like you're bound to do that. And so if the two of you have decided we are working through this, then you got to get your marriage out of the coffin and understand that in that process, it is going to take a lot of work and there, it's not going to be linear. Recovery just simply is not linear. It does not follow some straight line of off and on addict and recovered. That's just not how it works. And there has to be grace. And we really, really overuse the word grace and underutilize the action of grace. And so mm. I really have to sit with, do I have the capacity to give the grace required to stay? Because when do I then take my pain and use my pain to start harming you back? And now we're just abusing each other. If I'm saying I'm staying, then what do I need to do that? What therapy do I need? What support system do I need? What anger tools do I need? What boundaries do I need? What single vacation without you do I need? Like, mm -hmm. what do I need in order to make sure that I can continue to extend the grace necessary to do the hard work of healing from this level of a wound? Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean you get to be like, oops, well, I slipped, but it's shorter. There definitely needs to be grace for her anger, grace for and compassion for her place where she what she feels is happening to her again. And if you are actively making progress and you're able to show the fruits of that labor and y'all don't want to end the marriage, then get it out of the coffin and start doing that deeper work with each other and separately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I want to speak to the right his second question, right? Is like, um, you know, is her expectation of me never acting out again realistic? Um you to our anonymous question listener, you already know our answer to this question. I mean, we've had so many people on this show five years sober, ten years sober. Um, so is it possible? Yes, of course it's possible, but the timing for everyone is different. And as we hear stories on here, for some people where it, like there isn't a math to your point of it being linear, like we can't be like, oh, based on where you are, hold on, let's pull out our, you know, cartography thing and move a couple dials and yep, you got six and a half years and then you'll never do it again. Or, or, hey, you're in pretty good shape, year and a half and you'll be out of the woods, but like that's like, right. There's no, <laughs> there's no right, wrong to that. So is it possible? Possible, yes, but I totally agree with you that that the coffin cannot be made saying if you don't land at never again right now, this marriage is over. To your point, I'm like, coffin's already made then, like, which I can honor. I can honor someone saying, I do not want to be married to an addict and I ain't going to do this. Whether it's another year or another 20 years, I ain't signing up for this. I, honor, I can totally honor that. Um, and, and I think you said it so well. You said it so well. James, anything to add? 
Nailed it. <laughs> Courtney just nailed it. <laughs> That's all there is. Pun to it. intended. <laughs> question number question number four, James. Question number four. All right. Throughout my teenage years, I've dealt uh, with masturbation and pornography use, as well as going through the repentance process and being successful for a year or so at a time. I've once again fallen back into relapse and have opened up with my parents and my church leader. I still live at home. I'm sick of dealing with this and want to get out. I've been looking for resources and thanks to your podcast, specifically Jason's story, I'm starting to understand surrender. I've gone through this before and I'm finally changing my lifestyle, relationship with electronics, and relationships with others. I'm starting down a path of putting everything on the table and not justifying my slips or thinking I can handle it on my own. Right now, living at home, I check in with my dad every day to report my progress. My parents have been nothing but supportive. I'm doing good so far, but I worry about being honest if I do relapse. The times this has happened before, I don't feel like I can talk about it. I feel disappointed in myself and I worry about how the people I love will see me. Um, I know I don't need the approval of others, but my mind in the moment tells me otherwise. I want to be honest, and I know if I trust in God, I can do this. I just don't know how to handle this part of the process. So I want to make sure I understand the question. It's more about how to stay accountable once this person has moved out of their parents' home. And would they share a relapse if they had one? And it, and he sounds a little hesitant about um, even sharing relapses right now with his parents. Well, and he, here's <clears> the because he's a little afraid about how his church leader and his parents are going to see him if he makes mistakes along the ways along the way of this you know this journey of recovery. Just like you said, it's not linear. So he's afraid of that non-linear part of this progress of this journey of this process. And so I want to open this door for Miss Courtney to step into. So um, one thing I have learned is that we shame in love as parents, as church leaders, as right pastors, youth pastors, mentors, whoever, right? We shame in love all the time. And that can be hard to recognize because it's like, I know my dad loves me, but it doesn't mean they're not shaming you. And so it seems to me he's had, he's struggling with this duality. And I think Miss Courtney, if you'd speak into that, that the parents love him and he's afraid to disclose. Right. Yeah. So I think exactly what Stephen said, that this is not a testament to how much, how loved this person is. It sounds like they are even aware of the love because they recognize, like, I've shared this with my, my church leader. I've shared this with my parents and my parents have even agreed, my father at least, to be my accountability person around it. Um, and so I think we have to first be really clear and make sure we are not following shame. Because shame's job is to do and say whatever it needs to, to get bigger and all encompassing in our life. But what we know is that shame is a lie. And Mm. I can hear a lie and still not believe it. And so really getting clear with the facts of your life. And the fact is 
whether perfectly or imperfectly, your parents have shown you and your church leader have shown you that they are open and willing. And so not letting shame keep you from disclosing. However, it's also okay to have a broader recovery community. And so maybe it's super hard to say the things to dad, but your your sponsor isn't going to struggle with that because your sponsor is probably going to be like me, too. I've had this moment, too. I've been here as well. And so not feeling like the only place you can disclose is with your parents or with your church leader, finding a community that feels safe enough to disclose if that is if, if you tend if you have a relapse. Yeah, and I, you know, in that kind of underlying in his statement, I kind of, I see some underlying false core beliefs about, right, if they really knew who I was, they would run, they would leave me. And that's what drives that fear, right? That I, oh, I can't tell you who I really am and the mistakes that I really make, because if I did, you wouldn't love me anymore, or you would leave me. And that's, that's what I kind of see underlying some of that fear there. And while he recognizes that in his head, it's not quite sinking into that soul heart level where he knows that he's loved and that he knows that he's worth that as a human being. And so your comments about shame are totally relevant right here. Yeah. Yeah. And it may be that shame has been a passenger on his bus for a long time. And this is just shame's new way of grabbing hold. You know what I mean? Sometimes those messages are so much younger than we think they are just because of the way kids' brains are made up and kids see the world through only their eyes. So if life is good, it's because I'm good. If life isn't good, it's because I'm not good. And so those shame messages can start so young. And then because of what people have access to now, there's just so many ways to medicate shame in an unhealthy way. And it's quick. It's, you know, that quick shot of adrenaline or um, serotonin or endorphins um, that there, that so many medicators give. And people also haven't been taught how to regulate and be in their bodies anymore. And so the minute there's discomfort, there's that need to reach out for something to medicate. Mm-hmm. 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 And we could do a whole episode on that alone. Yeah, we have like we have an entire season with Miss Courtney in this yes, point. Yes, we do. So, um, not a joke. Um, so, and I think this rolls, so I'm going to read question five cause it rolls right in, like it's yeah. right in the same vein. So, um, right. Question five in my recovery, I realized that secrets are very unhealthy for me. My decisions have led me to a path where I've been excommunicated from the church. My question is who do I share this information with as a baseline? My parents are aware and I have a sister and a brother who also know, um, for various reasons. My sister, because my mom uh, looked at her for support, and my brother, because he also struggles with addiction to pornography, so we check in with each other weekly. I have one brother who I've always been closest with who I have not shared with, and I really struggle with whether I should or not. I think that in the right circumstances, um, he lives on one side of the country and I live on the other, so our time together is limited. I would I would do it naturally, but I'm not sure how to drop the bomb, in quotation marks, um, is further complicated because my wife in her need for safety early in the process has shared with her whole family. So I deal with some guilt that I'm keeping a secret from this brother that I should share. Uh, her whole family knows um, compounding the feeling of secrecy as it relates to my brother, who I consider my best friend. Thanks for an ear. Mm. 
Yeah, Stephen, I think you've heard me say this before, but I am a big proponent of speaking from your scars, not your wounds. Mm -hmm. And as someone who has leaned deeply into my faith to survive, I can imagine being excommunicated is deeply wounding, even if it's necessary, you know, even if it's the, the, the move that needs to be made, it's deeply wounding and sensitive. And so however you choose to share that or not share that, I don't know if that's something others can judge. That's such a personal journey. And a lot of times social media and different things have us believing that our business should be shared in ways it mm-hmm. should not be shared. And so I think we also have to really consider, um, yeah, like, why is it anyone's business? I could have sworn it was my relationship with God. You know what I mean? <laughs> And, you know, you weren't a part of it before I got excommunicated. Why are you a part of it now? Um, And I get the feeling of guilt around what my brother doesn't know, but all of her family knows. But you didn't share that with her family. She shared it because she felt like she needed to. And that might be a conversation y'all need to have around boundaries um, so that, you know, because I think your business and your marriage is also your business. Um, because of how people can interpret and insert themselves into people's marriages. Um, But yeah, like if you haven't felt ready to tell, maybe there's a reason. Maybe there's something deeper in there that you need to sit with first and then trust that when it's time to tell, you and God will have the opportunity to share the information and you'll be covered and it'll be beautiful. But maybe there's something holding you back that you need to listen to. Yeah. And that's where, uh, that's where my curiosity went to. And, and I want to share, which I think, um, our, uh, anonymous question submitter knows as someone who has been excommunicated, um, and just fell up. So I understanding that experience and the awkwardness of like, I'm in, I'm in my own process with God and, and share, not share. And that the curiosity I have is this is the brother you're closest to from the information you gave us. And so what I, what I want to, when, right. When Miss Courtney, when I hear you saying, you know, what's the reason there, that's where I want to kind of hold space and say with curiosity, not shame, not there is a right or wrong. So we're getting to an answer just with curiosity is, are you, is it his judgment? Is that right? Does, so in what I'm making up, right. Is, is that a father figure? And you're saying I've disappointed God and I kind of see him as a father. And, and I feel like I'll just, I've just disappointed him too. And that's where the shame's coming out. Or is it, I know my brother has an issue and I know he's not ready to really talk about it. So I feel like if I share, he'll think I'm just trying to kind of gaslight him and push him into recovery. He's not ready for, like, I would just go into, right. Cause you, and like, you reached out to us and gave us this question for a reason. Like you're activated enough around this situation with your brother to ask us. And so I just want to lean and say, you know what, like just curious as to what that thing Miss Courtney's talking about of, is it time or not leaning into that? Like have some curiosity. What's that reasoning? Cause that could go so many different ways. Right. 
Um, cause, cause as someone who has shared my story publicly on this podcast and all over the internet, I have been in circles and in places and communities where I did not share that I was excommunicated because it was not safe and it was not the time. Um, but then there's other places that I'm like, yeah, what's it right? Show up to a 12 step meeting or somewhere. And I'm like, totally excommunicated. It's crazy. Here's all my feelings. A lot of shame. Next question, you know? And so what is that around that for you? That's my question. Just yeah. be curious. And that's where I went first, really, was just around safety. You know, it's it's up to you to have that boundary of like, who's safe for you and who's not. And it's okay if your brother's not that safe person for you. You know, and if you're safer around the people you have talked about that with, then that's fine. Um, and you're okay to have that boundary. It's not everybody's right to know what's going on with you. Yeah, yeah. And I think we also have to be careful not to confuse proximity and relationship or the role of a relationship with someone's capacity. That's a great point. Yeah. There's something that you know about your brother's capacity that has you paused. You know, mm-hmm. what I, mean? I think a lot mm-hmm. of times we have expectations of people and ourselves based on someone's role or title in my life. Well, that's my mom. So I should. But if your mother doesn't have the capacity to hold space for you in a way that's healthy, maybe your mother's not the one who has the right to that type of connection with you. And that's not a diss on your mom, but that's also a way to protect you. You know, our boundaries are the place where we can love ourselves and each other at the same time. And so I don't want to continue to ask you to have more capacity than you have. And I don't want to continue to harm myself by trying to get something out of someone that cannot give it to me. Because I think a lot of times we can self-harm through other people because we know they can't give it to us. We know it's not going to be enough. And yet we keep reaching back because that pain feels familiar and it feels like home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Truth. Truth. We're praying for you. Just want to know everyone's been questions. We're praying for you. Um, so, um, and for sure, some prayers on this one. Miss Courtney, you want to read number six? Yes. It says, help. I am, I am married to a great family man for 30 years. Five awesome kids. He is a sex addict, not in recovery. History of porn use, acting out with other women, strip clubs, etc. All bombs that went off, I discovered. He has... He has never, ever shared anything I didn't discover. I didn't discover. Lovely. Hmm. Somehow we survived this and now we are coasting, but not connected. We have sons with lust addiction struggles and I am open with them and share all the resources I know of. And they are battling, but their dad is silent with them on the subject. He provides well. He has a good relationship with our kids and is kind, respectful to me. We have a great relationship if we pretend there has been no past and don't talk about sex or addiction. We are great roommates without any emotional connection or vulnerability around the topic of his history of serious addiction. Counseling just left me with go home and pray for a miracle. He did not know what to say or do. We've tried therapy for multiple renowned therapists, individual and group, but his um, heart has never been in it and still isn't. I am still connecting, reaching out all I can with sponsor group and doing my very best to stay wise, healthy, and grounded. I work on healthy boundaries and try to be wise. He is sober as far as I can tell, but he will not talk about this, about his addiction or his history. Too much shame. Gulp. Now I am left with anxiety, depression, and fear about 
when the next bomb will drop. About every four to five weeks, my anxiety spills over and I beg him to open, to be open and share, but he is closed. I've tried daily, then weekly and monthly check-ins blocked. I continue to share. I work the steps myself. I surrender, let go and let God. I don't want a divorce. I pray for miracles in my marriage. I pray to know and use wise boundaries. Hmm. Ooh, that's a heavy one. Um, yeah, yeah. I, mm, I can just hear the pain in the in the, the plate in the in the question, and I, I don't know. I think my curiosity would be how much grief have you done yet? Like, are you still actively grieving the old marriage, the old relationship, the man you thought him to be? Um, and if you are, then that's not the time to really be trying to dig in deep with him or trying to pull him because you're still in your own process with the past, not even the present, just the past. And there's still so much work that you need to do, which it sounds like you're doing. And that level of wounding takes a lot of time. And if he's not doing his work, um, which was kind of what I gathered from the um, letter, or at least not sharing it openly with you, then, and you're wanting to stay married, then that then you need to let that go. Cause I heard you say, I've, I've let it go. I've surrendered. If he's showing you, I'm not going to share it and you're deciding to stay married, then that doesn't need to continue to be a topic of conversation. That needs to be a place where you're saying, okay, I'm going to hear you do your own work. I'm going to hear you when you say you're sober and I'm going to continue to work on me and heal in me what needs to be healed. And we'll see where we come back together or don't at some point. It just doesn't sound like the two of you are ready to do this process together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think we get a lot of questions similar to this of like, how do I get him to move? And it's the boundary work, right? You cannot. So the comment, like we've been to some really good therapists. I'm like, no doubt you have. And um, if he doesn't want to do the work, he won't, right? I mean, we've even seen this, right, Miss Courtney, of, of, you know, people who come to onsite, pay the money, pay thousands of dollars, take a week out of their life and coast, right? Like, and... <laughs> Yeah. And, and it's like, you can't, you can't make anyone do anything. And, um, when we've heard men share, right. And it's like, this was the movement for me is, um, when the spouse finally stopped and was like, I'm going to go healthy land is over there. I am leaving. I am going to healthy land. And I hope someday you show up. And I know that's so much easier said than done, but again, and I'm not saying I'm not making the call, stay married. Don't get there. Like if you feel to stay married, stay married. But the question I always ask with boundaries is like, if he's sick, so he's vomiting all the time and he doesn't care to see the doctor and get unsick. That's his choice. And if you want to stay in the relationship, great, but you should be far enough back in your boundaries that the throw up isn't landing on you anymore. Like if it's still landing on you all the time, like um, I would just say like that boundary should be a step back. Cause like 
then to me, the grief work can't be done that you're talking about. If I'm still actively, it's like, you got to be far enough back that you can take time to clean off the throw up that's already there. If you keep getting thrown up on, you're not going to be able to do that grief work that you said so beautifully, Miss Courtney. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there may be a subconscious not being ready to do that grief work. There may be a subconscious her mm-hmm. that's tethering to needing to know, needing to, what are you doing now? Like keeping that anxiety going um, because I know what's underneath it, or at least a part of me knows what's underneath it and I don't really want to feel it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like the underlying thing that she's really facing here is about every four to five weeks, She's just overcome with this depression and anxiety around what her husband is going to do or not do. And that's a painful place to just cycle in and out of. Yeah, yeah. And I think is there's if you're able to really like notice it to that degree, then are you able to have a plan for yourself in that space? So if I know that every, you know, four to five weeks, what am I doing in week three to kind of fill my cup more, to kind of fortify myself against what might be coming? What am I doing um, in my social life to fill my cup more? Who am I calling to reality test these different thoughts with that I trust and can see me? Who, what, what's my own mental health journey? Who are my um, guides spiritually and um, mentally and physically that support me, especially in that four, week, four to five week period so that I'm mm. able to manage and regulate during that time that has nothing to do with him. Right. Just take care of yourself so that you don't have to deal with that depression and anxiety every four or five weeks because because you can't control whether or not he's going to say anything or be honest or open up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And she said he has never admitted anything. Right. She's had to discover everything he's ever done. Right. So Maya Angelou has said beautifully, you know, before she passed, when people show you who they are, believe them. So he is showing you that Mm. he's not willing to do the work. So now you decide, are you willing to stay or are you wanting to leave? Like, what is your boundary based on his truth? Mm, That's solid. Mm, Say that again. What is your boundary based on the other person's truth? They don't have to change their truth for you. They just don't. And so because of that, to what degree can I be in connection with you based on who you are? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. Wow. <laughs> Uh, Miss Courtney, thank you so much for being here with us. And, um, it's amazing wisdom, right? Love it. Yes. I told you I was like heavyweight coming in people's champ legend in the game. Heck yeah. So I'm a fan. I'm a big fan already. Yeah, th- this is uh, this has been amazing um, to have you, Miss Courtney. We we appreciate you so much um, for for being here with us um, and just sharing your heart um, and along with your wisdom and knowledge and um, everything that you know. So thank you, thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's wisdom is a word I get a lot. And I often say like it is God given and well earned. Like I mm-hmm. don't the choices opposite of the ones God told me to. And he just kind of let me do it. And it was like, come back, baby. I see you. Um, <laughs> so I'm just so glad that I can help other people maybe make a couple of different decisions or at least have some grace for themselves in the process. Yeah, love yeah. that. Yeah, and um, our our last uh, anonymous question asker is actually an outsider, so wanted to give a huge shout out to uh, her efforts to kind of help us with everything that we're doing. And so, to those who submitted these questions, just honored. We're honored that you would share your truth and your struggles with us. I know that you have blessed others who have these same questions, but because of their shame, fear, not feeling like they're worthy of love or assistance, didn't ask. And so, your courage has blessed so many um, by reaching out. So I am totally honored um, by you sharing that and and trusting us to hopefully give you an answer that um, was helpful and and hopeful on on kind of your journey. And to our outsiders, we love you. Um, Thank you so much. You are bold, accepted, and for sure unashamed. And if you'd like to become an outsider, you can go to unashamedunafraid.com slash donate. Uh, 100% of our proceeds go to fund scholarships for those who are looking for recovery um, programs, resources, counseling, and so if you are in need, we invite you to go to unashamedandafraid.com slash scholarships and to apply. And um, if this has been good content and you like us, then please give us five stars on iTunes. That's how the world judges us and finds us. Find us on social at unashamedandafraid.com. And Miss Courtney, how do they find you? Yes. So you can find me on Instagram at Courtney Leak LCSW. Um, and my website is Courtney Leak LCSW.com. Oh, and well, yeah, <laughs> like, oh, wait, yes. And I have a podcast with one of my dear, dear friends. Uh, no, no, you have you have the podcast. <laughs> we, we have the podcast. Um, my dear friend Mark Pimsler and I uh, do a podcast. We're actually wrapping up season one now, um, but it's just been an endeavor of love that I've enjoyed spending with him. And Steve has been one of our hype people. Oh yeah. He's like, I want the magic well. So that encourages us to keep going. But it's a wellness podcast and really just we interview some people or we have conversations with each other around different wellness topics. Mm-hmm. And it is like the mix of super fun and super deep all in one. And if you don't think that's possible, I invite you to visit the magic. Well, Miss Courtney, you are the best. Thank you again so much. And to everyone listening until you are with us next time, continue to be unashamed. Unashamed.